I'll now talk about what benefits this method of meditation can have for us. This method is often called Vipassana. It's an assumption of a name which um, belongs to actually all Buddhist methods because Vipassana means nothing but insight and it certainly isn't the only way to gain insight but it is a very effective way in many aspects rather than calling it Vipassana I prefer to call it sweeping because then it doesn't assume the the um, unique position of Vipassana. Sweeping is a name, but also fraught with some problem because people then think of having a little broom and sweeping in their bodies, so please don't think that. But we will call it sweeping, and we will call it The, uh, this method that we've done, we will call it point by point or spot by spot, prefer point by point, because there is another way of doing this also, which we might have time to get into before this course is over. It is the same method, but done differently. This is the second base of mindfulness. The base of mindfulness directed towards feeling. Now when we watch the breath or do walking meditation, we are concerned with the first base of mindfulness. And mindfulness is the heart of Buddhist meditation. The first base, body. Breath is body, walking body. This is feeling. Although we go along the body, we are not interested in its anatomy, nor are we interested in its functions. We are interested in its sensations. So we actually would have a very good Pali name for this method, Vedananupasana, a bit long, isn't it? So we'll call it sweeping. As we do this, we can, first of all, become aware of the fact that all our emotions are manifested physically. Now, when we are happy, which is an emotion, we might smile or even laugh. At least we'll make a happy face. That's physical. When we're unhappy, we might frown or cry. So the emotion of unhappiness shows itself in 
the physical aspect of frowning or crying or making a long face. When we get tense, which is an emotion, we hunch up our shoulders. There are hardly any Westerners left in the world that don't have some problem with their shoulders because there's that much tension around. All the people that do these sort of bodywork, massage and things like that, always will tell us that. All our emotions have a physical counterpart. We don't have to know exactly which one has which. But from the ones I've mentioned, we can already see that they have it. And what we do with our emotions is that we not only manifest them in the physical, but we also deposit them there. And so if we do this without ever having any let-up, any clearing system, and do it with great emphasis, the negativities, of course, we eventually make ourselves sick. But before we do that, we have aches and pains. And before we have those, we get a bit stiff. Very small babies can very easily put their big toe in their mouth. <laughs> very difficult nowadays, isn't it? So we deposit a fair bit of junk in our bodies. We can compare that to a person living in this room year after year after year, never taking out the garbage, never washing the clothes, never taking out the excrement, leaving everything in here. And it gets smellier and dirtier and more, more and more unpleasant. It gets to the point where he can't look out the windows. But he's so used to this unpleasantness that he doesn't notice anymore, he doesn't know that there's anything else. And then a friend comes along and says, what a mess, why don't you clean this place up? Here, at least a little corner. Come on, let's clean up a little corner. So they clean up a little corner. And the person who's living here then finds that he's much more comfortable in this little clean corner. So he starts cleaning the whole place up. Gets it, sweeps it all out. He can look through the window. It's no longer smelly. He's much more comfortable. But he has to keep on doing it every day. Most people clean their houses every day. But what we do with our body is we wash one sixteenth of an inch of skin. And then sometimes the hair. And that's it. We can't get at anything else with soap and water. But what the mind has put in there with its emotions can only be removed through mind. So what we have here, we have again an automatic washing machine, an automatic purification system. 
which works whether we know it or not by noticing, dropping, going to the next spot. This is the reason why we let go of the fingertips and the toes into the room because there's no other spot to go to anymore. It's a letting go of that which we become aware of and which arises. It is, can be called, a mental shower, a taking a mental shower, starting at the top and going down to the bottom. So it has the effect, in the very first instance, of making the body feel more comfortable after having done it a few times, having less obstruction in it, being able to use the body a little more easily. It has, by the same token also, the ability, this method, to get rid of small aches and pains. If the concentration is extremely good, even bigger aches and pains, which is not the goal of this meditation method, but it certainly is one of its side products. It also has, as a side product, the fact that those people who find it difficult to concentrate on the breath he have here a method which provides more interest. There's more going on, and therefore a little easier to concentrate on. It is something which helps one to establish concentration so that we can then also use that same concentration on the breath. As a third benefit, it is extremely important for the purpose of getting in touch with one's feelings. Now, there are many people in the world who don't want to be in touch with their feelings. They're afraid of them. They are often unpleasant. They don't know how to handle them. They're afraid to give themselves an opening which other people might abuse. These are all mind concepts. They have no reality to them because the reality is that every single human being lives according to their feelings, whether they know it or not. Because even thinking produces feelings. And whether we know our feelings or not doesn't change the fact that we all live according to them. We cannot think life as hard as we try over and over again. We can only live it, and living it is feeling it. And the less we are in touch with our feelings, the more we feel like a spectator. Life is not a spectator sport. Life is our own personal involvement 
with ourselves and the world around us. But if we're not in touch with our feelings, it becomes that. We're watching what's going on, trying to be in the head only. It's far more common than one would give it credit for. So this is the ideal method for getting in touch with one's feelings. In a totally unthreatening manner, because there's nobody there that can be blamed as a trigger for producing any of the unpleasant feelings, nor is there anything happening or do we have to react to them on the contrary. This is a totally objective maneuver. We're just there watching it. So we get in touch without feeling threatened, without having to worry to give ourselves an opening to others who might abuse that opening. We don't have to do anything except be aware. And once having got in touch with feelings through this method, it's no longer difficult to know that they're there all the time and to realize that they just are. Now here in this method, one of the first benefits that is extremely important for the spiritual path, getting in touch with one's feelings is important just for living, but for the spiritual path, is the possibility here, in fact it is the necessity here, not to react to them. We've got to let go of them. If we don't let go, we can't continue going along to the end of the meditation. If we get stuck in one place where there is an unpleasant sensation or an unpleasant emotion, we're stuck to it we are reacting to it. We're hanging on to it. And by hanging on to it, we can't move on. We can't continue with the meditation. We can't do the whole of it. And we're continually reacting to that one unpleasantness. As we get to know that, we will be able easily eventually, to let go of it and keep going. As we keep on letting go, we have the spiritual tool for eventually letting go of so much that we can actually see reality behind all this relativity that we live in. This is relative reality. It's quite true that we're all separate and individual, but only relatively so. Now this letting go of our reaction in the meditative procedure will then enable us to do exactly the same in daily living. So there is an unpleasant feeling. So there is an unpleasant sensation. So it just is. We don't have to react. Until then, we are compulsive reactors. 
something happens and we compulsively react because we're pre-programmed. We don't even know the program, we haven't even read it, but we're compulsive. Then, when we have learned not to react to what's happening in the meditation, we can then choose in daily life. Do we wish to react or don't we? Well, when we choose, most of the time we'll find that we don't want to react. And that's not suppressing it. Most people, especially those who are not in touch with their feelings, or literally little in touch with their feelings, are extremely good at suppressing. That's not the answer either. The answer is knowing fully and dropping it, letting go. The whole of the spiritual path is a path of letting go. It's a key word and the key action. So here we have the opportunity to learn this. To learn it by noticing, dropping and going on. If we have an emotion, we know very well that nobody has caused it at that moment. Nobody said anything, nobody did anything. So we have maybe for the first time in our lives an actual experience of the fact that all these emotions that come up in our daily lives only come up because they're sitting inside. They're not coming up because somebody has done or said something. Because if we have become aware of any of them during this meditation or in future meditations, we have the proof of the pudding. Nobody said anything, nobody did anything, and it's just coming up. Maybe there is resentment, resi uh, resistance, anger, dislike, boredom, disinterest. Maybe one of these or any other is coming up without any outside trigger. Now we know if we pay attention. It doesn't depend on the outside trigger at all. A person who has practiced long enough and well enough can have any number of triggers that would set another person off on a tangent of anger or disgust. The triggers have nothing to do with it. But we've got to experience that. We've got to bite into the mango. Here we have that opportunity. It's all sitting in here. It's that little jack-in-the-box. And it's a jack-of-all-trades. It's got every kind of hat on, every kind of clothing, every kind of name. Whatever we can dream up, that's the name it's got. But it's always the same little jack-in-the-box, sitting on the spring, just waiting to jump out. And... Here, if we are lucky enough to get in touch with emotions, gives us a perfect experience of what's actually happening within. This is one of the most important lessons that we can learn. There's another very important spiritual lesson to be learned from this meditation. The personal experience of impermanence, anicca. Whenever we take our attention off a certain spot, 
that sensation, that feeling is gone, disappeared. May come back later, but it's gone. And each one of them is gone, disappeared. Now none of them, or hardly any of them, may be noticeable. So we've had our personal experience of how impermanent, how fleeting, how changeable all our feelings, all our sensations are. And what do we do with them in everyday life? We own them and we react to them. We make ourselves miserable by reacting to our unpleasant feelings and in the eventually we don't even know anymore that one could be quite comfortable if one didn't do that because we've been doing it for so long we can't tell the difference anymore when we get to know the impermanence from personal experience of all feelings and sensations that they're coming and going it must eventually make a great deal of difference to our perspective that we have on ourselves and the world around us. None of it remains. Least of all ourselves, we also don't remain. So what is so important to react to? Certainly we can sometimes choose to react. That's quite all right. There are situations in our lives, like bringing up children or mm, having to do some work, where we must choose to react. But when we're no longer compulsively addicted, but we make our own choices, we feel extremely independent and self-confident. That independence is on the way to liberation. The whole of the Buddha's path has only one purpose and one goal, and that is liberation, Nibbana. All of these steps are small liberations. A feeling of being free, Now we learn our lessons that all the emotions and feelings, sensations are within, that they're not being caused, they're only triggered, they're not caused. Here they are triggered by our attention on the body, but they're not caused by that. They couldn't possibly exist and come up if they hadn't been there. And the second thing that we learn is the impermanence of all that which we in daily life consider the base of our life, the uh, fundamental aspect and to which we always react, our feelings our emotions, our sensations. The same goes also for the naming. 
Now, when we have an unpleasant sensation, and there are only three kinds of feelings, whether they're feeling or sensation, there is only that which is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. But we give it all sorts of names, and we give it names which are loaded. When we have an unpleasant physical sensation, we call it pain, and that's loaded with trying to get away from it. If it's painful, it must be something bad. But here, we don't have to say that. We don't have to load it with this habitual distinction. We can say it's poking, it's stabbing, it's uh, heavy. It doesn't have to be called pain. We can call it unpleasant. But none of that denotes trying to get away from it. And as we learn to do that, we have an enormous support system for any kind of physical pain that may arise in our lives. Hardly anyone is immune. There are some people who don't get sick easily and even die pleasant death. They're very few and far between. Most people do have pain on the way, at some stage or another, and later on in life, far more. And much of our time and attention and lack of energy and also misery is due to painful physical feelings. But if we learn through this meditation method that that is strictly mind-made, everybody has, of course, a threshold. But that threshold of pain can be immensely expanded if we don't give it the mind connotation of bad poking, stabbing, unpleasant, contracting, tension. These are all words which do not have so much of that kind of connotation that it makes us immediately jump up and say, oh, I can't stand that. So that's another benefit we can get. Not everybody will get all the benefits but everybody will get some. Another very important aspect which has to do with insight is the fact that we can actually experience in this method the four elements, the four fundamental elements out of which the whole of the physical universe is made. They're the four primary elements, and they're called earth, fire, water, and air, or wind. Now, when we experience them in ourselves, sometimes spontaneously, sometimes deliberately, we can connect 
to these elements in everything around us naturally in everybody else in every human being but also in everything that is made or that grows earth element is the hardness everybody can feel it just by sitting that feels hard flesh bones all that feels hard that's the earth element it also has the quality of stability now if we touch the floor we can feel that same element if we are outside and touch a tree we can feel the same element nothing different between that and this earth element in us this earth element in us which is flesh and bones and everything that's solid is impermanent and will crumble to dust dust the same as a tree no difference the same as the grass the same as everybody else the same as this house it's just a matter of time some houses last longer some people also last longer it's all the same element earth element very easily noticed in this meditation method because the solidity and the um, hardness is the one that we consider to become painful and as we consider it painful our mind starts objecting resisting and rejecting and were full of negativity and this is one of the aspects which we can actualize namely the fact that our mind rejection and resistance is making negative karma in a mild way but every time we do we are heaping negativity upon negativity until in the end we're so full of it we don't even know anymore that there are positivities once in a while we might see a glimmer somewhere that's why we need to be so careful every resistance we have every rejection is based on something that is mind produced it doesn't have absolute reality to it we can inquire into that the next of the elements is a fire element which means temperature very easy to notice in oneself warm if one is dressed warmly enough or cold if one doesn't have enough clothes on or just in between if we touch the floor there's temperature when we touch the tree there's temperature there's temperature everywhere around us not always to our liking of course sometimes it's too hot sometimes it's too cold we have a very limited range in which we feel comfortable that too can be expanded of course if we're interested but primarily it's a temperature that exists in all matter in all material things the whole of the universe there is temperature that's called the fire element and the fire element has another quality they all have an action with them 
and also a substance. The substance is the temperature. The action is the burning. Without the fire element, we wouldn't burn up our food. We couldn't digest. But the fire element is also the element that makes us decay. So it has that quality of burning and it has the substance of temperature. The earth element has a substance of solidity, hardness, and it has the action of stability. And if we can use this as a method of meditation, it's an inside meditation method, to notice those elements within and refer to them without. We get a little handle on our lost sense of unity. We have complete unity in this universe. Nobody is threatening anybody. There's no danger in it because all belongs to the same aspect, universal existence. But because we've got away from that, not during the history of humanity, but from the word go, our craving to be has took, taken us away from that. Because we don't have that sense of unity, we feel separate, we feel threatened, we feel endangered, and we also react, inwardly or outwardly, with aggression. And that's what the world looks like. We all know it. It's all written up in the papers and shown on television. We don't have to go that far even. We know that it's like that if we look inside. But if we meditate upon the four elements and actually become aware of the completeness and the sameness which exists in all that we could possibly think of, it will help us to get back to a sense of unity within existence. The more we do that, the easier it is to love one another. The easier it is to love oneself. One is no different from all that exists. We're all children of the universe, and we all belong here. We're all part and parcel of everything. So when we do this in meditation, it's no longer a word concept or a hope and a prayer, but it becomes a reality of experience. The next one, the third one, water. Now we can very easily feel the water element when we meditate in our mouth, saliva, maybe in the eyes if they are a little bit uh, tearful, maybe in the nose, there is sweat, there's urine, there's blood. 
So water is, of course, all that. But it has another action. It's a binding element. If you take flour and you pour water into it, you get dough. It keeps things together. And that's why, strangely enough, all human beings are about approximately 80% water. Amazing, isn't it? We don't, don't see it. It seems such an amazing thing that there's so much water in us. But if there wasn't, all our cells would walk about separately. It would look very funny, but it would help us tremendously in understanding what the Buddha means about the ego illusion, the non-substantiality, the corelessness. Because we saw all these cells walking about separately, well, we'd probably put an ego onto the cells, the ones that are a little bigger, a little better looking. <laughs> but our water element keeps us together. So water is the, all that liquid in us, which we can feel quite easily, and also that binding element. Now, water is everywhere around us. Rain, ocean, dew. <coughs> and again, in the tree even, the sap, which is the lifeblood of the tree. We might even see it when the tree has a bit of a um, cut or something. We might be able to see the sap, but at least we know about it. Without water, we wouldn't ever eat. The food we grow has to be watered. Water is the lifeblood for everything. We can go without food for quite a while. We can't go without water. We've got to replenish this water substance within us all the time. And that's the same out there. Without water, all this greenery would soon die. It can't last very long. But there is water in the ground, which the roots can, can get. Seeing ourselves as such will help us to see ourselves more objectively, less egocentrically, and more in unity. And the fourth one is air or wind. Now, that's obviously breath, without which we also couldn't live. There's also the winds in the body. And that has, as its activity, movement. Now, we can feel, if we become really concentrated, particularly in this method, we can actually feel movement within the body. I remember being about 10 and learning in school that all the cells of our body are renewed every seven years. I couldn't figure it out at all. I thought, now, how does that work? Every seven years, I'm going to lose all my cells and then I get a whole <laughs> bunch of new ones. And I had passed the seventh birthday already and hadn't noticed a thing. <laughs> So I let it go. There was no answer to be had. 
which happens to all children many times. And so that was the end of that. Well, meanwhile, of course, it has come to my not only knowledge but also to the experience through the meditation that these cells are constantly falling apart. And after seven years, they've all fallen apart. But they do it continuously. Otherwise, we'd look pretty funny every seven years, wouldn't we? So after seven years, a whole lot has been renewed. But while this is going on, of mm-hmm. course, some of them are again falling apart. So we never have a whole bunch of new ones. Now, this action which is going on in the body can be noticed. It's a movement which seems to be something like uh, coming together and falling apart. So this action that's going on is the action that air or wind produces. And this coming together and falling apart makes it also much easier, if we notice it in the meditation, to understand our own impermanence. Because we all know at one point in time, maybe many years from now, we're going to be dead. But we don't really pay attention to that. The absolute reality of that is that we're dying every moment and coming back together again. And if we can feel that in the meditation and only if it's a feeling will it be an experience and only then will it be possible to use it as a new basis and perspective for living. We actually feel it. We will know that nothing that happens to us is so significant as to get upset, worried, unhappy about it. It's all coming together and falling apart. We're constantly dying, coming back together and dying every single moment. In this meditation it's possible to notice that and as we notice this element of wind within us, we can see it out there. It's moving everything about, isn't it? And as it's moving everything about, it's also the growth element. It's movement. The tree can't grow without movement. The physical growth element, which also happened in us, but it's now more likely the physical diminishing element, because as one comes to a certain point in physical growth, it stops and starts diminishing. I'm already about three quarters of an inch shorter than I used to be. This wind element that we can feel in ourselves in the breath quite clearly and which is out there to be seen without even half trying will maybe help us even more to feel connected, to feel unified, especially if we use it as a meditative <laughs> procedure, not just intellectually accepting it. There's nothing difficult about that. But meditatively getting in touch with it 
and actually feeling oneself to be exactly that what is out there. Then we can see this body in its reality. It is just a natural phenomenon which is subject to all the natural laws that everything else is subject to. And because we don't like natural laws for some odd reason, we constantly try to put ourselves against them. One example of that is, of course, what we're doing with our environment everywhere, but another example is that we've actually managed to be able to get spare parts for this body. I mean, that's a real, real um, absurdity. We don't put spare parts in trees, so why put spare parts in this body? But we don't like the natural law of decay at death, so we like to change it. Always trying to change the natural law. Now, that's not the worst of it, that we're putting spare parts in. That's only the result of our thinking. The thinking is that we don't like it the way it is. We want it different. And that is, of course, the cause for misery. If we were to be totally satisfied with the way things are, and there's no reason not to be, then all problems would be solved immediately. That doesn't mean that we don't try to grow spiritually, of course, but we're satisfied with having to grow spiritually. We don't resist it, we don't reject it, we don't think, oh, I don't need it, or I'm already there, or it's too difficult, or I'm so bad, that's why I need to do that. Nothing like that. We are and we do. But certainly also has feeling. The tree grows without objecting and rejecting, and it decays and falls down. That's all it does, and so do the leaves. And when we use these four elements as a meditation subject, we will not feel like a tree, not necessary to feel like a tree. That's exaggerated. But we will feel compatible and in unity with everything that we can possibly think of. And as we do that, we feel comfortable with him. We don't feel that we are lacking, that we're not this nor that. We feel comfortable. We're there. It's fine. This feeling of unity is extremely important because it not only does that, but it also shows us that this ownership of the body is a myth. Just because we call it me doesn't mean that there's really somebody owning this body. If we did, we'd probably make it look entirely different. Nobody seems to be satisfied with the way they look. They always like to change it. And our drugstores and um, uh, supermarkets are full of stuff so that we can change the appearance. So if we really own this thing, why don't we change it completely? Make it 
bigger, smaller, fatter, thinner, uh, blonde, brown, whatever it's supposed to be, well, that we can actually do with chemicals. This ownership of these four elements becomes absurd when we use this as a meditation subject because we can see that we certainly don't own all those elements out there, so why are we owning these elements in here? It's a more objective way of seeing ourselves. It's a more realistic way of seeing ourselves. And then we won't get so upset if these elements do not obey what we ask them to do. We ask them to stay young and healthy and... um, vigorous, and they won't do any of it. They will not stay young and healthy and vigorous. So we get upset about it. And we, we, we can't do this and we can't do that. But if we see them as just the four elements, then we accept it, that that's the way it is. And we see it also as not ours. So this meditation method helps us to see two of the three characteristics of the whole of the universe. The three characteristics are anicca dukkha anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, corelessness. Impermanence, easy to see. Corelessness also means non-ownership, can be seen. How can we own all these different feelings and sensations and say that they are all me and then they're gone. So where's me? It's still there. It gets a new feeling. So we've got a new me every moment. Well, we don't believe that either. We think there's a solid me which is being bombarded with all these different things. So we think there's a core there, a substance It's not too difficult, actually, in this method to get in there and try and find this substance and see that it isn't there. The impermanence shows us that. And the non-ownership also shows us that. So we have very useful, everyday potential for this meditation and extremely useful spiritual understanding. Now, I was want to ask you how you were going along with this method. Namely, is there anyone who didn't feel a thing? Okay. Nothing. Well, a small amount is good enough. What is a small amount? <coughs> Well, you can feel yourself sitting on the chair, can't you? Yes. Can You can feel your clothing on your back. Can you feel your clothing on the back? Okay. And the clothing on the chest? Yes, okay. So next time you do it, you'll have to use from the outside in, use the outside. 
and go, go, you don't have to go inside the body. The sensations are everywhere. Okay? Who couldn't feel the top of the head, the very first thing we came to? Okay. Who couldn't feel anything in the chest, this whole area here, from shoulders to waist? Nothing in the chest. Okay. Next time you do it, and it's very important to get to this area because this is the area we associate with our emotions. You do it like this. You start at the left shoulder and you take a strip about two inches wide. It doesn't have to be exact, just to give an idea. You go from the shoulder to the waist, down and up and down and up. So twice down, twice up. Spot after spot after spot. And then you go to the next and do it again. So the next uh, two inches over, the next strip, go to the next strip, and down and up and down and up, until you come all the way across to the right shoulder. Do it in strips. And eventually you will feel something. And this is extremely important, because if we don't have anything, any feeling here, we are cut off from the emotions. It's really important to get in there. And um, with the strips it's easier. The same applies to the back. If somebody didn't feel anything in the back, do it in strips also. <coughs> did anybody feel sick to their stomach? You did. Very good. Excellent. Uh, that's an excellent, what we call an excellent reaction because it means that you took a whole heap of old garbage all at once and threw it out. Now, it usually only happens once. It's very rare that this happens twice or more often. It's, was it when you came to this area where the stomach is? Yes, the waist. The, the waist, right. right. Uh, uh, highly unlikely it happens again. It means that you took a whole heap and got rid of it all at once. That's very good. And um, if it does happen again, that's fine, too. Another heap, all at once. But it's un unlikely. It's uh, uh, rare that it happens more than once. Did anybody have emotions? Good. Anybody else? Yes. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to let go of them and keep going? Or not? Yes? Yes? Sorry? It was a problem to let go of them. Yes, um, that's an excellent, excellent uh, teaching uh, opportunity to see that the aversion is something that sits within and has nothing to do with uh, other people, which we usually think it has. Aversion from anger as well. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, when where did they did they arise uh, when you had the anger also when you got painful feeling yes mm-hmm. well that's our usual reaction to pain isn't it aversion and anger but it's totally unnecessary and in this case it's extremely unnecessary because uh, first of all it's very interesting that it's difficult to get rid of to let go of it by going past it to another point. Were you able to finally do it, to go past it to another point? I went past it, but then it popped up again, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the, the anger. <laughs> yes. The, the aversion reaction. Yes. It's, a, it's an extremely uh, potent uh, purification um, possibility because we don't have to do anything other than go past it and go to another point. We don't even have to start loving anybody which is even more difficult. In daily life, what we need to do is when we have aversion and react and resistance, we need to start loving, which might be quite difficult. Here we don't even have to do that. So it is um, um, a very, very interesting uh, method. So next time you do it, see how you get on with it next time, by whether you can let go of it and go past it. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to sit with the pain beyond the threshold of endurance. But what you need to learn from it and what we all learn from it is the fact how we react to pain, that it's uh, that we always get angry and have aversion. I mean, everybody does. You know, that's not a personal problem. It's, indiv- it's a universal problem. And as we have that, it's very helpful to see also that we could enlarge the, the threshold and just have it as an unpleasant feeling so when you want to get past your, the um, aversion try to see the painful feeling as nothing but unpleasant feeling not necessarily pain it will, be, will help a lot not to have aversion because feelings are either one or the other ok any, any questions about the method or anything Yes. Uh, when you wake up, you'll know why not. <laughs> However, if anybody has difficulty falling asleep at night in bed, it's a very good thing to do. Very helpful. So if anybody you know, it doesn't fall asleep easily. Yes? I, I was very, very sleepy throughout. And, I mean, the emotions I experienced was anger and frustration. Um, at, at being sleepy and being achy. And what I found was that I was thinking, I'd be concentrated, I'd be attentive to one part and thinking, oh, well, I know the pain is in my left eye rather than my right eye. And then when I got to that eye, it wouldn't be there. The pain or the uh, sensation? Well, the fact that I, I knew that I wasn't doing it and I was fighting to stay away. And they were getting angry at yourself. And I would be telling myself, well, I know I've got an ache in my right shoulder. And then when the attention is on the right shoulder, there's no ache there. Uh-huh. Do you yeah. know what I um, well, the uh, the problem is getting angry at yourself. 
that doesn't help. Um, if there is sleepiness, and that goes for everybody, of course, the first thing to do is to open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the light, in this case at the window, where there is light coming from. Then give yourself a pep talk. <laughs> this is the time to meditate. This is not the time to sleep. I can sleep at home, or I can sleep at night, or whatever helps you, or this is a good time to really do it. But not anger. Anger doesn't help either. On the contrary, the mind gets so fed up with anger that it wants to sleep on top of that. So, um, and then move the body so that it has a bit of the shoulders, a little bit of more um, blood circulation possibly. And if nothing helps, stand up quietly and silently and do it standing up, whatever it is you're doing. Most people do not fall asleep standing up. <laughs> Anything is better than falling asleep in the meditation because that, of course, doesn't produce anything. It produces no um, insight or anything at all. It does happen. The Buddha um, himself gave the instructions, which I've just repeated, <coughs> because one of his... Uh, in fact, his left-hand disciple, Mahamugalana, came to him once and said, Sir, I fell asleep during meditation. What am I to do? And uh, the Buddha told him, you know, open your eyes, look at the light, move the body, uh, give yourself a pep talk. In fact, he gave him the pep talk. And, um, but that wouldn't be possible now while we're meditating. And uh, uh, if necessary, stand up. And he even told him, start walking, but that's only possible if you're on your own. If you're in a group, you just stand up. So um, it's not uncommon at all. See, the reason it's so common is because the only thing that the mind knows about not thinking is the moment before falling asleep. It's the only moment it knows when it doesn't think. Because you can't fall asleep while you're thinking. So there has to be that moment of non-thinking. And so then we tell the mind not to think, so immediately it infers from that, ah, must be bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> obvious, isn't it? <laughs> so there we are. We have a lot of difficulties. And... Uh, the only way to deal with our difficulties, and this was what your problem was in this instance, is not to get angry about them, but to accept them as universal dukkha. That's what they are. The word dukkha fits everything that we don't like. So we'll just use it as a catch-all for everything we don't like. It's universal. So... I'm being beset by this particular problem right now, so I'll get over that one too. It's all impermanent, isn't it? <laughs> now, naturally, one tries to counteract it with one's best uh, methods, skillful means, which is uh, one of the um, terms the Buddha uses a lot, skillful means. But anger is not a skillful means. Anger is counterproductive. So then you weren't able to get rid of the anger or were you able to get rid of it? Or just by well, being asleep? I woke up when you started talking. 
Oh, I Sometimes see. Not in that right. <coughs> but have you? Do you know what to do with this uh, method? Are you aware what to do? Mm. Okay. Because what I'd like you to do in the next sitting, everybody, to go through that once more on your own, and you will find that it takes much less time. When I lead you through it, it takes a long time because of the fact that I have to say it and then do it myself and then think a moment has everybody finished with this because of course I've been doing this for many years and I'm more practiced at it and so can do it much faster so in the end it takes much longer you should be able to get through at the most in 45 minutes at the least in 20 if you can do it without being superficial but can do it fairly fast, then you can do one of two things. You can then do it again or go to the breath. Now, for those people who found this more conducive to concentration, they do not have to go back to the breath. These are all methods. A method is a method by any name. So if this is more conducive to concentration, this is the method to use. If it is equally unconcentrated, then both. Use this first. This brings more concentration. And if time is left, use the breath. If you use the whole 45 minutes, use it alternately. Use this one session going through the body, the other session on the breath. Whichever way they do complement each other. If you have resistance to doing this, by all means you've got to do it. <laughs> are you are you getting sensations everywhere? Mm. What okay. We are not. Where is the places not where you don't get sensations? Um, between your but usually in your in arms. Mm-hmm. But the boredom is just another word for resistance. Yes, and uh, it is an extremely helpful for concentration. And it's also very helpful for having to give oneself totally to something because if you do it half-heartedly there's no way you can get any sensations so I would suggest that you do just as I said a moment ago use both do if you take if it takes you when you do it on your own how long does it take you all right then you can go to the breath after that all right, um, and if it takes anyone 45 minutes and they still want to use the breath go to the breath in the next session anybody who only wants to use this method that's fine if there's a resistance is anybody else having resistance to this method yes well very important to do it well um do you have the pain in the left hip right from the word go? Yes, I have it in the left hip. I've got it now. 
and you have it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, can you try and seat yourself differently? I mean, it's, it's, meditation is not supposed to be painful. I mean, that's not what it's all about, although sometimes one thinks it might be. Um, but that's not what it's about. The Buddha said, in order to meditate properly, we have to be comfortable in mind and body. In both, they have to be comfortable. But because we are not used to the sitting position, we also do get unpleasant feelings. But I can assure you, sitting in the most comfortable chair without moving for 45 minutes, you get pain. All you have to do is think a moment of the night. We may have the most expensive mattress. And we sleep like a log. But the body never remains without movement. It will always move in the night because it is uncomfortable, signals to the mind, and the mind signals back and moves. We never wake up in the same spot that we put ourselves to bed with. So even asleep on a good mattress, still not comfortable. Body has dukkha. Buddha said not body has dukkha. Buddha said body is dukkha. In fact, the Buddha said, the body is a cancer. Not it has cancer or can have cancer, but it is a cancer. So, but it is not the purpose uh, of meditation to have pain and sit with clenched teeth and, 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 and you know, prove to oneself that one can do it. It is um, quite all right to, first of all, to recognize what's happening and then move, to seat oneself in the most comfortable manner that's possible, if you know, if they have a different way of sitting. Yeah, I moved a little bit. So mm. I was wondering about doing it standing up, so I could sort of seat that way. Yes, you, you can do it standing up. And with the breathing, the mind's up in the nose, so it's an easier to distance yourself. So trying to think of your right knee and your left hip as well. Sorry. When the mind is down in the body, yes, that seems to make it more painful. When the mind is concentrating on an object nearer to the, where the pain is, yes, makes it worse. Yes, of course. When you get there, then then you are more aware of it. But I was suggesting that one doesn't use the word pain, but that one uses the actuality of the feeling. Really get in there. What is it? Is it poking? Is it stabbing? Is it contracting? Is it uh, expanding? Is it uh, um, having some... There's something happening, which we then translate into pain. But the only reason we do is because it's a strong feeling. If it's mild, we don't call it pain. But it could be exactly the same thing. See, now if you stroke yourself lightly... That's pleasant. But now do it heavily and it becomes very unpleasant. And it's exactly the same movement and the same things happening. But it's very unpleasant because it's heavy, strong. So if we use pain, of course we are getting uh, easily upset by it and we have aversion to it. So look at the feeling and see what it is and see also how it has arisen. See also that when you take your mind off it, you can let go of it. And then when it keeps on coming back, 
and the mind says, well, this is all very nice, but I can't stand this, then move, <coughs> sit differently, you know. But whether you have, whether you do attention on the breath or whether you watch this uh, going through the body, um, if, if your hip is painful, it's going to be painful. But you have to try and use all these methods to come to terms with the unpleasant feelings which the body undoubtedly has. Now, the way we cope with them in daily life is that we move. When we sit, we stand up. When we stand up, we sit down. When we lie down, when we walk a bit, we move. So we cope with it, not too badly, until the moment when the body has something wrong with it. And then, of course, we stop coping usually and run to the doctor. But um, here we can learn different methods of coping, which can be extremely helpful also in daily life. But by no means am I suggesting that you have to cope. There is no such um, um, compulsion at all. You try to use all the methods which I've suggested, do the best of with them as you can, and then if you can't, use them, then admit to yourself, I've been conquered by an unpleasant feeling and you move. That's all. And then when you move, you'll find that the unpleasant feeling also comes back. <laughs> but that's the nature of the body. Such is the body. And you see, this is also a very important learning situation because of the fact that especially when we're young, the Buddha called that intoxication with youth. With it, which is intoxication with the body. As one gets older and less pretty, one is no longer so intoxicated with it. But the Buddha tried to um, balance this intoxication with use and with the body by showing us that the body really is not a very satisfactory phenomena. It always plays up, no matter how young we might be. And if we see that, it's not that we become disgusted with it. That's not the purpose of this. But we have a more balanced view of it. It's not so wonderful as we thought, but it's also not so terrible as we thought. We learn to cope with it in the best possible manner. Any other questions? Yes. Could you use this method as visualization, for example, you're standing under a under shower and you're feeling the water, so the cleansing... So you feel slowly the movement down and if you're cleaning, so the aches come away from you. This if you use visualization in order to help you to have the actual feeling, that's mm -hmm. fine. As if water is going Yes, but only the visualization will not do. It's got to be visualization together with the feeling. The visualization in that case is a crutch, which is fine. And did you get the feeling with it? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's fine. That's fine. I didn't do it, but I was well half did it. Yes. If, I'm so if there is a if there is a feeling with it, it's fine. How long how long does one wait on each spot if you don't feel? I mean, you just do march on. Um, yes, uh, march on. <laughs> total spot is here. That I, it's so strong and so painful. So more or less everything goes there too. But. I, you lost me very quickly on the way because there was just no feeling and then I you know, I wonder do I really 
stay and wait until I feel it could take three hours going to the <laughs> Well, that would be exaggerated. You, um, where did you feel? Only, only in the head? Well, that's where I'm sick. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of pain in my head, so mm. I uh, rejected it from the beginning because I didn't even want it to start here because I have so much pain here. What, do you have a, a steady, steady headache or what? What somebody talked in the beginning, the pressure, I have an enormous pressure. And is that is constant? With, yes, with nausea. Oh. I make myself sick. But you know, this method is ideal for that. This is the ideal method for that. I'll tell you what you do. Right. You go, t you, you get the pressure the minute you come here, do you? Always. Oh, you already have it. Yes. You don't even have to go there. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go as far as you can on the head, head um, and then immediately let go through the ears, through the nose, through the mouth. In other words, become aware of all the feelings which are here, which you're calling pressure, yeah. which, and then let them come out and do that as many times as you think is necessary. It will relieve it to the point where you can go on. And as you go on, then you come back to the head and do it again. You may have to do it many times, but it will relieve some of it in any case. You just become aware of it and out you go through all the openings that you may choose one opening which is particularly effective or all of them. You try that, okay? And then as you come down and you don't feel anything, that's because of the strong feeling here, right? Okay. Yes. Because this is overpowering and doesn't allow you to have real yes. concentration yes. here. Well, that would also mean that you can't concentrate on the breath very well. Um, Joseph Goldstein said to go down and stay with rising and falling. Mm -hmm. That happened last weekend. From that on, I, I do that more, and it is possible because when mm. I was with a breath here, mm. which I always used to do, yes. I didn't want to be here. Yes. So I didn't want it. Yeah. And he said, Go down rising, now. falling, rising, and since this few days, I could do that then mm -hmm. to get away from this problem. Yes. But if this pressure is something that you're suffering from, yes. it would be very helpful to have at least some. Um, relief from it. So try what I just yes. said. And then if you have enough relief from it to keep going, you only stay on each spot a moment. It's like having an asbestos glove on and putting your hand on the hot plate. It takes a moment for the heat to come through. And if I don't feel anything, I go on? You go on, yes. Would it be helpful to use the out-breath when you do the Letting go. No breath connection. Yeah. One thing at a time. The uh, um, the letting go of what? Of the tension in the head, the pain in the head when you... No, no, no. no. This is strictly um, concentration. It's not breath connected at all. It's a concentration method. The more concentrated the mind is, the easier it is for the mind to let go of such things. This is um, mind-produced, so yes. can be mind-removed. It's uh, not too difficult. 
uh, you're not the first one that has that problem and has removed it. There was a woman who had constant migraine just the other day in a course. She has had migraine for 20 years. She can't, uh, she couldn't go to work without taking pills in the morning. And uh, she relieved it. So it's quite possible. In fact, she, while she was there, she removed it. I don't know now whether it's still removed or not. But it is something which, when what is mind-produced can be mind-removed. It's quite logical. So it's a matter of... And also, as you do it, be convinced that it's coming out. Okay? Yes. It's all in the mind, the whole thing. Yes? Is this true of pain of many physical conditions? Pardon me? Who's talking? Sorry. Is, it, is, is that... Can that work with pain from any physical illness that one has? Um, that would depend upon the strength of the physical condition and the strength of one's concentration. The two go together. If one has little concentration, one can remove little pains and aches. If one has more concentration or very superior concentration, one can remove very strong aches and pains. So I, I've heard of a monk in Northeast Thailand who was able uh, to cure a stomach cancer through his meditation. I don't know what method he did. I'm not personally acquainted with him, but I heard of it. And he had been, you know, monk in the forest for 55 years at the time. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have any other problems. <laughs> that was the only one he had. <laughs> So it's a, it's a certain, uh, you know, a certain gauging of what one can do. Yes, some, you had your hand um, up. Can I ask, when, when, you're, when you're sleeping, and if there is emotion from the rise, how much space, if it's a very strong emotion, it's going to run a sort of quite a powerful cause, how long do you give it before you move on? Because there's no maybe grief or waiting to send your bond, or do you wait a bit, how far up does it? No, the minute you have noted it and realized it there, that's time to move on mm-hmm. to the next spot. The, the quicker we let go of all that is negative and hurtful for ourselves, the less it has a chance to be at home within. And that applies to everything in daily living and in the meditation. The quicker we can let go, the better. Sometimes it may not be possible to do it very quickly, but the quicker, the better. So by letting go, you mean noting it? And going to the next spot. Yes, not out. Next spot. On. Yes, that's right. On. Yes. Anything else? Yes. I wasn't quite sure what, what I was doing, I was supposed to be doing, when you said about making a mental movement out of the tips of the fingers and toes, whether, whether it's some kind of imagining draining or feeling that, or whether it was just a, a shift of attention. It's actually just a shift of attention, but some t- people do feel as if something is draining out, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful if that's happening, because that's a real 
cleaning out process. But in essence, it's nothing but a shift of attention. It's from here to there. When it's why, some why do you do that rather than just going from there to the next to the body? To the next body? There's to nowhere to go. Where would you go? But, but then you start on the other well, you'd have to go to the left shoulder from the or from the left from the left hand to the right shoulder. Well, that wouldn't be very useful, would it? Um, like this? No. <laughs> no, you want to go. And it it is also one of the features that, as I as I explained about the pressure, that we have that possibility of out. So that is one of the possibilities. And I could mention that right now in case somebody for instance, has very unpleasant feeling somewhere, extremely unpleasant, that uh, not really able to cope with it well. And even a shift in the sitting position doesn't do anything. I mean, if one has a pain in the tummy, it really doesn't matter how one sits, one has a pain in the tummy. So in the case of that, it can be extremely helpful to go to that spot and note the unpleasant feeling and go out right there, out of the body, outside, not keep on going. It can be helpful. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. All these are possibilities. None of them are guarantees. 